through streets paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney, and this is my co-host, Slade. Slade, middle name Colton. Say hello, Slade. Hello. He's a very interesting young man. He told me before the show he, he loves history, and he loves, what was it, purple chicken? He loves orange chicken, Chinese food, orange chicken, and his favorite outdoor activity is riding his bike. He comes from a great family down in what part of Utah? What city? Orem. Orem, Utah. Eight years old, and guess what? He loves the Lord. In fact, he has a message for everybody. You ready? One, two, three. I love Jesus. He loves Jesus, and that is going to go through you your whole life. So you, no matter what, you always continue to love Jesus. All right? It's a deal? Thank you for being on the show, Slade. Okay, Heart of the Matter can be seen on live television from anywhere in the world through streaming video. Go to www.hotm.tv and you can see that in uh, there. You can also go to our archives and see any uh, shows that we have done in the past. Uh, Every Sunday afternoon from 1 to 2 p.m., AM 820, The Truth, plays uh, Heart of the Matter replays. Tune into that station. Also, if you want to learn the Bible, because they have a lot of great programming. Uh, This October 30th, a Sunday, I'll be speaking at Provo Baptist Church. October 30th, it's at 700 West, 100 North in Provo, 7 p.m. So if you're down in that area, stop in, make a visit. We'll talk for about an hour and about... uh, Primarily kind of the political situation uh, that we are seeing with um, the nation. So uh, show up if you're interested. That's at Provo Baptist Church, 7 p.m., October 30th, Sunday. All right, last week I mentioned an excellent docudrama uh, that is about Joseph Smith's quest for the White House. In addition to the docudrama, there are interviews with D. Michael Quinn, Richard Bushman and his wife, their LDS, several uh, active LDS, and even a few things from me. Here's the trailer, take a look. Is America ready for a Mormon president? I would love to see Mitt Romney go to the White House. Yes, I think America's ready for a Mormon president. No way a Mormon gonna get in the White House. The odds of him being elected president are zero. What happened when the Mormon prophet Joseph Smith ran for president? America knew the power seeking that was in Joseph that continues to be in the LDS church today, they would be very frightened to have a Mormon president. Was there a political conspiracy to murder Joseph Smith? Is anti-Mormon prejudice still alive and well in America today? 
I've gotten several comments of like, you're a Mormon and you're in a cult. Their doctrine does not reflect Christian teaching as we understand it. It makes me crazy if somebody ever accuses me of not being Christian. And the name of the church says it all right there. Why are Americans in such disagreement about the Mormon church? They would love to take over the world, and I think they believe that they will someday do it. There's a lot of rumors out there, and most of them without basis. Every single thing connected to Mormonism is a byproduct of the embodiment of Joseph Smith. He had been dragged from his home in an effort to kill him, and a Protestant minister was a member of that mob. Today, Protestant leaders reject Joseph Smith as a false prophet. You can't understand the challenge facing Mitt Romney until you know the untold story of Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism. Explore the controversy surrounding Joseph Smith and the Mormon quest for the White House. Prophet of God, polygamist, politician, who was Joseph Smith? Joseph Smith is a puzzle. Larger than life. I would say Christ-like. It would have to be charlatan. He was a mighty prophet. A mighty prophet of God. Join the debate, the drama. Make your decision. Is America ready for a Mormon president? You want a copy? You want a copy? Well, you can get it. A minimum donation of $25 to Aletheia Ministries, and we will send one out to you. There's a couple ways to get it. You can write Mormon President, 4760 Highland Drive, number 515, Salt Lake City, 84117. Please don't show up here. That is a P.O. box. We've had people come up to that place. Poor male guys, terrified. And uh, you can also go uh, online, www.hotm.tv. It is now up. You can order it right there uh, online, and we'll send you a copy wherever you might be, as long as it's in the continental United States. Uh, we think uh, it's an excellent resource and a real tool to help people. A lot of churches help churches understand what is going on and what the history of Mormonism and politics really is. Now, I'm very excited to announce something we have been working on very hard for the past two years. Haven't talked about it. I don't think there's anything like it on the market, and we've titled it, Where Mormonism Meets Biblical Christianity Face-to-Face. It's an A to Z doctrinal comparison between Mormonism and Biblical Christianity. It's a compilation of the information from 47 shows, topics that we've covered, and uh, from angels to apostles to temples to Zion, we'll present you with the facts the LDS position with all the references. So you can, you can open it up. You can get the references of, of who said what where. And then you can see the Christian perspective with all the biblical references and see how through the 47 topics, they are absolutely uh, not Christian. Now, uh, the cost of this book is pricey because it costs us a lot to get it uh, in publication. So the retail shelf price, uh, you're going to be about 700 pages is 35 bucks. It's the most expensive product we've ever uh, produced. However, we are doing a pre-sale offer to our viewers. What it means is you can get uh, a copy to your home by December 15th for the price of $30, and that includes postage. So if you want one, go to www.hotm.tv, click on the picture of the book, and it will take your order. Or you can write us 
and just write pre-sale on there, and that's at 4760 Highland Drive, number 515, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84117. We're very proud of this new book, and know it will benefit you and your learning and understanding both of the gospel of Jesus Christ relative to these topics and Mormonism. All right. A new church uh, with a very different approach started two weeks ago. We call it Campus. Where do we meet? On the campus at the University of Utah. We meet twice a week on Sundays. The first uh, gathering is called the Milk Gathering. We're going through the book of Matthew. That's at 10 a.m. And then we have a Meat Gathering. That's at 2.30 p.m. Go to www.campus with hyphens in between those letters, dot com. We would love to see you there. And I think you will see it's not like any... Uh, church you've ever been to, so check it out. All right. I want to personally reiterate an open invitation to the following people to not just be on this program, but have a full hour to themselves right here on this set. I won't even be on this set here. I might sit back there, but I won't say anything. Any official representative of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, especially the prophet and his counselors, the 12 apostles, members of the, uh, who are general authorities, any of those men are welcome to a full hour. We pay for it. We produce it. It will go live. Nobody will inhibit anything you want to say. Mr. Scott Gordon, the founder of FAIRS and the now new Mormon Defense League, uh, Scott, we uh, are inviting you to come on here a full hour because you say the Mormon Defense League is there so that you can clarify through the media all the misunderstandings about things. So Scott, you have a full hour here uninterrupted by me to take and also, you know, LDS defender Jeff Lindsay who has a very popular website. He says all kinds of things about Mormonism. Again, a full hour, Jeff, to come on and set the record straight. And the Book of Mormon Answer Man, also another guy who's on the internet who gets on there and he makes all these claims about Mormonism, a full hour. Why are we doing this, gentlemen? I invite you uh, to sit in this chair and explain LDS soteriology, that means how you're saved, uh, how Mormonism has nothing to do with polygamy, and uh, how Satan and Jesus are not related in any way whatsoever, and to clear up any major misconceptions, to prove that you are Christian by the Christian standard. Again, all you want, full free hour free, completely unedited, unless you swear or something like that. Now, if you're not local, we will even fly you out here, put you in a hotel for the night, and pay for your meals. Uh, why are we doing this? Several reasons. First, we are showing our audience that this seat will probably remain vacant that all the loudest defenders and proponents of Mormonism, they have a chance to come on a show that actually addresses the issues. You have the invitation here publicly, how you probably won't take it. And you have the, you have the hour to yourself. Why won't you take it will be the question we want to understand. Um, second, we really want you to have a chance to set the record straight. Uh, a record that your members are constantly saying that I obfuscate with uh, facts that are lies. We want you to come on here and set it straight and give us the doctrine and how it's doctrine and, and how I am so wrong on the things that we talk about. And finally, in the weeks to follow after your program's done, we will take your actual statements and then I will go on the show and I will say that statement was absolutely true. Thank God he, he, he said that. This one was absolutely right as well. That one was a complete lie. 
you know? And you, I, I'm not going to uh, pick on you. I'm just going to show you what the differences are between the two. So come on. It's your chance to set the record straight. Show the world how Mormonism truly is Christian and prove to your followers that you have nothing to fear and that you represent the truth and that you speak the truth when you are in the media. We, we give you that opportunity, all right? I know if I had an opportunity in any forum on earth, if it was in the center of, uh, of Saudi Arabia, and I could preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I could share what it means, I would take it like that. No questions asked, record, do what you want. I'm giving you the same opportunity, all right? So now listen, audience members, a lot of these guys aren't going to know that this invitation is extended unless you tell them. So write Scott Gordon at fairs, write uh, the Mormon uh, Book of Mormon Answer Man, write Jeff Lindsay, write the 12 Apostles, write Thomas Monson, write the general authorities, email them, call them, and say, hey, you have an invitation open to you. And all they have to do is contact me. Here's, here's the email, sean at aletheamedia.com. We will take care of the rest and get you, get you on here and we'll go from there, okay? Is that clear enough? Is it clear enough, audience? Is it clear? Okay, it's clear. The audience says yes. Fine. A number of weeks ago, I received an article from the San Francisco Bay Area from one Mel Thompson, a self-proclaimed philosopher, theologian, and ex-Christian social commentator. The title of his article, Why the Mormons Got It Right Anyway. Thompson, a longtime viewer of Heart of the Matter, is very complimentary of me as a show host. He says things like, McCraney simply offers the best theological entertainment on the planet right now, end quote. But the purpose of his article was not to praise me. Essentially, Thomas suggests that, Thompson suggests that the LDS church has the long-term advantage over Christianity, and he provides a number of reasons in support of this claim. His first stated reason is that Christianity's long-running stance on being monotheistic is, according to Thompson, going to soon be shown absurd. And that um, when compared to the immovable doctrines of Christianity, we stand firm on what the Bible says. Thompson points out that the Mormons are highly adaptable and uh, they present a, 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 a movable doctrine and uh, possess what he calls second-tier doctrines, which will enable them to outperform and outlast most Christian beliefs, which will be proven archaic in the long run by this modern society, uh, with monotheism being one of them. Presently, Thompson believes the LDS are playing a game that he calls Me Too. And which it says they are, he says they're working very hard to appear mainstream orthodox uh, to the Christian monotheistic faith. But this is just an opportunity to measure, uh, uh, it's just an opportunity to g uh, gather immediate support. And on this, I completely agree with him. Uh, Thompson adds, quote, in the future, when each of the doctrines of the Bible, the Book of Mormon, or any other monotheistic books are washed away, then the LDS second-tier doctrines, like the one of God being once a man, etc., will re-emerge, end quote. And here, it is here that Mormonism, with all its non-biblical ideas, their second-tier doctrines, will actually become biblical Christianity, uh, hence his title, Why the Mormons Have It Right, comma, Anyway. 
terrifying as it might be to hear, uh, I agree with Thompson completely. Because this ministry is known in some parts of the nation and world, admittedly by a very small group, we constantly and gratefully receive uh, updates on what is happening around the world relative to Mormonism. People send us emails and articles all the time. I want you to hear from me first uh, that Christianity, as it is known and taught in the Bible, is on earth going to lose. Um, it will lose in the race for popularity. It will lose in the race for the number of souls it attracts. It will lose in terms of wealth and property ownership and power as almost everything else, Mormonism included, is going to win. Why? When a religion says a people must pay, for one example, must pay money in order to receive exaltation, the right to go into a building to get it, that is not religion. That's not Christianity. That is a business. You have to understand, when the exchange of money has to occur for someone to be saved, exalted, that is a business model. It is not Christianity or even a religion. And in this fallen world, corporate models shepherded by marketing firms and accountants and politicians and, and, and lawyers will always win. So take a look at some of this stuff. I'm just going to give you a really quick example of what we uh, get. This is about 45, 60 days worth from uh, Bloomberg Business Week, God's MBAs, Why Mormon Missions Produce Great Leaders. That's, a, that's one article. Uh, from KSL.com, Book of Mormon Sweeps the Tonys, an article there. Uh, this is from the Ogden Institute of Religion. What does it say? It's a card that their Institute of Religion LDS hands to Christian visitors, teens and, and college-age students. You know what it says? You have to go and be approved by a local reverend who is friendly to the LDS if you want to come and visit our institute. Once this ecumenical reverend has given you the approval, then you can come to our LDS. This is a merging that goes on. You want more? The uh, Mountain Meadows Massacre site is now a landmark. The LDS Church has made it a great historical landmark. Let's keep going. We have another one. Huntsman says it's tough to define his faith, and we have articles on him. We have Glenn Beck here in this article, Restoring Courage to Stand with Israel. Glenn Beck, a noted proponent of Mormonism. Here we have the Mormon Church launches national media campaign. This campaign is known as I'm a Mormon, and it is playing in certain selected states throughout all this next year, but it has nothing to do with the upcoming presidential elections at all. It's just, it's just the LDS Church letting people know that Mormons are, are regular people too. From the Ogden Examiner, or standard, Davis Standard Examiner, it says, Leighton Pastor and member of National Clergy Council says Mormonism should not enter the debate at all. So we have the local papers even here in, in the state of Utah. The, the pastors are starting to fall off. I heard that. Uh, who's the guy who wrote Born Again? Chuck Colson has come out and said Mormonism, not a cult. Uh, it continues on and on. Uh, this month, we have a full, glamorous magazine here of the LDS Church. The full thing is filled with cotton candy supports for their Book of Mormon. We have another one here that says, Gay Mormon named a key post. So they are showing that they are friendly to the homosexual community now, trying to overcome the negative press they had from Proposition 8. Front page of the Salt Lake Tribune. 
Oh, what's this? The Book of Mormon challenged what the LDS people online are saying is everybody go to YouTube and post a personal testimony of the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon. They did it last year, and collectively they're doing it again. This is, uh, talks about a Nashville tribute band that delivers homage to the LDS missionaries and the prophet Joseph Smith. Down there in Branson, they're playing away and drawing people in. And the Jewish Journal here talks about uh, Reverend Mao, oh, excuse me, Richard Mao, he's the uh, president of Fuller Theological Seminary, saying that Mormonism is not a cult. And the first thing he says is the reason why is that religious cults are very much an us versus them. Their adherents are taught to think that they are the only ones who benefit from divine approval. That's not the Mormons. No, not at all. They're not us versus them at all. What is going on in this world? And then, of course, we have the, 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 the pastor cult, the cult that the, uh, uh, the pastor called the LDS Church a cult, and that has just split everything wide open, all because it's a praise to the man, baby. This is what it's all about. It's a praise to the man. And the man on here is not Jesus. It's not Jesus. It's Joseph. And it's the Mormon church. So our floor is littered with this stuff that we get day in and day out. And, and so I agree. I agree completely with, uh, with uh, Thompson that Mormons will, in the end, uh, have it right anyway, according to this world. And it will continue to grow and dominate because it operates by what is not of the Father, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The world will always operate by those things, and it will win. But for those whose eyes are set on the kingdom to come, for those who care only about truth and Jesus as the only way, uh, Mormonism has never had it right, and therefore, in the end, it's going to lose. With that, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we need you, uh, and we pray in, in, in Jesus' name that you will send your spirit mightily to be with me, uh, be with our audience members wherever they are, and for those who are seeking for truth, one by one, here and there, we pull from the fire. But it is a battle, Lord. So we pray your spirit will touch those who are tuning in wherever they may be. We pray for our volunteers, our staff, people who are, are constantly assisting and supporting the ministry. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we started out with uh, this season, and uh, where are we at? You want to? Cultivating a religious fraud. This is all about the Book of Mormon, and we've been going through and, and likening the coming forth of the Book of Mormon to the cultivation of a religious fraud. The steps that we have taken to show this have been these. We started out uh, and talked about the early, can you see? You can see that, Derek? We started out by analyzing the Book of Mormon by talking about the early American environment uh, that Joseph Smith was born into, and we called these programs the ground. This is the first one up here, ground, okay? And then we uh, examined Joseph Smith's family life, especially the character of his parents, and we called these programs seed, meaning the seed for the Book of Mormonian itself. Moving on, we looked at the early magic practices Joseph was introduced to, and we combined them with the 19th century influences upon his person, and these became the fertilizer for the Book of Mormonian. We then likened his claims uh, of the angel Moroni visiting him, and we called these planting. All of these elements are preparatory to the Book of Mormonian's growth and its creation. 
Last week, we brought you to the point where Joseph Smith, after four years and claims that the angel Moroni had visited him many, 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 many times, he says the plates were actually delivered him, delivered to him, and the year was 1827. So next week, we're going to start talking about the watering of the Book of Mormon. But that's where we are relative to all this stuff. Now, just to whet your appetites, if we look in this first uh, Ensign edition here, you want here? We have a picture. Check this picture out. This is a picture that they, uh, an illustration, and it shows Joseph Smith looking at the golden plates. If you zoom in on that closely, closely. Can you get it? Now, I want you to look at this picture. He's, not, he's dressed very nicely. He's in a very nice home. There's a nice lit candle there. He's at a table, well cared for. And he's sitting there examining those plates like, man, these things are really interesting. And look at those plates. They are golden, they are thick, and they are perfect. Okay? Now, as we go on, we continue to study about when he gets these things. You're going to see what the real truth is uh, about uh, Joseph Smith and uh, look at history to tell us the truth because the church through their illustrations and their missionaries and their propaganda is not telling you the truth. That picture, my friends, is a lie. It is a lie when you look and read the history. Okay, but we have to give one thing a bit of attention tonight. You'll remember that last week we pointed out that in 1823, Joseph Smith said he had the first vision of the angel Moroni who told him about these plates. Then four years later, Joseph claimed he actually received them from the earth. But we also pointed out that Joseph Smith continued to pretend to use, uh, pretended to see other buried treasure between the first visit of the angel Moroni and him receiving the plates. During that time, he continued to go around to unsuspecting people, and he conned them by looking at the stone in a hat and, pre and, and, and pretended to be able to see where buried treasures were. <clears throat> what? Why did he do this? You have a visit by God the Father, he says, and Jesus Christ. You are visited by an angel of light that is terrifying to you, according to him, uh, when you first see him, and you continue to con people out of their money through trickery in between these visits? Praise to the man who communed with, the, with Jehovah. Uh, it ought to be disgraced as the man who chased ghosts through the clover. Uh, he it was not what the history continues to put forward. What makes his treasure peeping particularly interesting and damaging is that in 1826, three years after he said he was told about these golden plates, listen, folks, Joseph Smith was actually arrested, charged, and convicted for being a fraud and conning people out of their money. Now, before there was any evidence of this convictions, rumors flew. All the way back to 1831, people were saying, that guy was arrested, he was arrested. But you see, the LDS wouldn't accept the story as fact because there is no hard evidence to prove that Joseph Smith was ever arrested or convicted. You see, with the LDS, they demand hard evidence to prove that Joseph Smith was a con, but no evidence to prove that the things he said were true. Have you ever thought of that? It's amazing. So, in time, a letter dating back to the time the charge occurred popped up. And the LDS defenders uh, were so sure that that letter was false, even Hugh Nibley, LDS scholar, once said, quote, 
If this record is authentic, it is the most damning evidence in existence against Joseph Smith. End quote. Uh-oh, Brother Nibby's got a little problem. You see, in 1971, a man named Wesley P. Walters had been doing considerable research on this event, and he was going through courthouses in New York, and he found the concrete evidence he needed and we needed to show that the accusation was absolutely true. The court document was dated March 20th, 1826. In it, the charges for the court are listed. Joseph Smith is listed there in the title with the glass looker next to his name. The word misdemeanor is written in, uh, by his name and a reference for the fees owed for the conviction are also listed in this court record. As a side note, the literal charge against Joseph Smith was that of an imposter and a disorderly person. In those days, the following... Uh, the, the, the title of disorderly person fell under the following according to the laws of the state of New York. We have a graphic for you to show you. This is what a disorderly person was. Quote, all jugglers and all persons pretending to have skill in physio, physiognomy, psalmistry, or, the, or like crafty sciences, or pretending to tell fortunes, or to discover where lost goods may be found. That's in the laws of the state of New York, revised and passed 1813. By the way, where it says a juggler in that, it's somebody who w pretended to find uh, hidden treasures through mystical means like rocks in a hat. One of the justices of the peace who oversaw the court appearance, Joel K. Noble, sent a letter to a friend about Joseph's court appearance. This is what the judge's letter said. Joe Smith, Mormon, came here when about 17, 18 years of age in the capacity of a glass looker or fortune teller. Joe engaged the attention of a few individuals given to the marvelous. Dug for money, salt, iron ore, gold ore, silver ore, and almost anything, everything, until civil authority brought up Joe, standing, as the boys say, under the vagrant act. Joe was condemned. Whisper came to Joe. Off, off, and he took leg bail. Joe was not seen in our town for two years or more, except in the dark corners. When it says whispers were said, off, off, they took this 17-year-old kid and they said, get out of town and you're not going to do time, but we don't want your, your kind around these parts anymore. That's what leg bail is called. And so he took it and disappeared and wasn't seen again, except he did come back because Emma was living there, uh, Isaac Hale's daughter, and that's who he married. And he also, Isaac, provided affidavits sworn before a judge of Joseph's character exactly like this. All of it can be found at www.utlm.org. Go there yourself. Look it up. Don't believe me. Think I'm as bad as you think I am. But look up the facts. See if they're true. So Joseph says God the Father visited him in 1820. Then Joseph said an angel named Moroni visited him over and over again in 1823. And then in 1826, while working with the angel to get these heavenly plates to translate, Joseph gets arrested and convicted for being a juggler, or in our language today, a flat-out con man. Next week, we're going to move ahead uh, to the night Joseph is said to have obtained the plates from the hill and the various 
and sundry documented accounts that go along with this fabrication. We're going to open up the phone lines now, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. In the meanwhile, our ability to stay on the air, on the internet, and just doing what we do is related directly to your support. Check this out. Welcome back. And remember that invitation does not include any elderly people on a fixed income. All right, listen, uh, we have callers JC from Brigham City, first time LDS, David from West Jordan, first time LDS. But we have a couple questions first from callers. First, LDS Robbie from Provo asks, how can you prove there is no evidence of the Book of Mormon, but there is for the Bible? It's impossible to prove a negative, uh, Bobby or Robbie or whatever your name is. In other words, I can't prove that Santa Claus does not exist. Santa Claus could be hiding under a rock out in my backyard while I'm scouring the North Pole to find him. To prove a negative, it's impossible to do. That's what makes a con so ingenious because you can make claims all you want and never be able to prove the otherwise. We can prove, however, in the positive that there is a Jerusalem, there was a Sodom and Gomorrah, there are an ancient children of Israel, that we do have actual manuscript copies of copies of copies that have endured and endured. So we do have a lot of positive proof for the Bible, but there's absolutely no positive proof, positive proof, positive proof anywhere anywhere for the Book of Mormon. Last week we said, just show us the stone box in the Hill Cumorah where the plates were taken from by Joseph. And the angel Moroni didn't take the box with him. The stone box is still there. Please show us a coin from the uh, Hill Cumorah. Show us one spearhead from all the wars and battles. Show us a bone from a Lamanite. Just one thing, you know, please. But, all, but see, this is how you have to do it. Now, here's another thing about that. If you have a religion and people can say whatever they want out of thin air, God actually wears a pink wig and he uh, a tutu. You cannot prove me wrong. And if I can get people and convince them that that is true, I can have my own religion. This is what makes Christianity different is we take this book and we say, we judge all of the information that comes to us, uh, you know, viscerally or through other means, and we judge it by that. We, we test it, we take it, and we look at the word and see what it says. So if we think the devil and Jesus were brothers, we go and we look and see, what does the word say about Jesus and Satan? And we come up with the real answer, and then we say, well, that thought was stupid, huh? That wasn't true. But see, with Joseph, he could say anything he wanted, 
and then it's echoed by those who follow him and you have to take it as truth because you had a burning in your bosom that says, I think it's true. You see, and that's a very dangerous place to be because all uh, uh, cults and everybody, they prey on that type of thinking to control the minds of those who follow. Okay, and Charlie from West Valley asks, if we have a Mormon in office and they make him a prophet, where will the loyalty be? First of all, the Mormon in office uh, would probably not become the prophet because the prophet is, uh, is drawn from the 12 apostles of the Mormon church and the 12 apostles give up all their public and private lives in that sense and they just become apostles for the church. So you're not gonna have them in office. However, will a Mormon president give his allegiance to the LDS prophet over the allegiance of the country he or she is over? Absolutely, if they've gone through the temple and are honest. Because when they go through the temple, they say in that temple, I swear to give all my time, talent, energies, money, everything I have to the building up of this church. That's their first allegiance if they give that, that oath uh, honestly before God, angels, and witnesses. You see, and so if there was a candidate named uh, Stitt Comney and he was running for office and he has been through the temple and he's made that oath, and then he doesn't do that, then he's either a liar to God, or if he does do it, he's a liar to his office as the president. This is why it is so difficult to say, yeah, it's fine for them to be in the office. Again, it's not the same comparison between them and a Catholic. They try to say, well, John F. Kennedy, they said they had to go to confession or they were under the Pope. But John F. Kennedy never made an oath of allegiance to the Pope in a temple uh, under the condition of death if he revealed those secrets or any of that stuff. So the comparison between those two is not right either. Hope that answers your question. Let's go to JC line three, Brigham City. JC, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Hello, JC, what's happening? I'm good, how are you? Good, what's up? Hey, I just had a quick question about, um, I had a friend, I said, you know, has God sinned? That was my question, has God sinned? And uh, he said, God had to repent in the Old Testament for making, for making man, hence the need for the flood. So since he needed to repent, he obviously sinned. And that's, I mean, I was wondering what that word looked like in, you know, the Greek or the Hebrew, repent. Or is that, so if you have to repent, does that mean you have Changed to... his direction. Changed his Pardon? direction. Repent has nothing to do with sin when God says the, uh, the Lord repented for having made man in the Old Testament. It just means he, he looked down upon how depraved man could be. And in his heart, he said, oh, you know, I, I regret having even done this for them. He knew what would happen, but he did it, and he, and he sh shows the results, and it, repent does not mean he sinned. It just means he changed his mind. That's really the definition of repentance. It's not necessarily a change of heart. It's an actual change of mind of what direction you're on and what you have done, and that's probably why they use that, but we also have scriptures in the Old Testament, JC, that say God is not a man that he should repent. So we have to take all of that stuff into context and see what those Hebrew words translated into uh, Latin, translated into English actually mean. That's why scholarship helps. And when a Mormon can take them out of the air and apply them in that way, it just proves how uh, idiotic their doctrines really are. Gotcha. So then when they say, oh, well, no, he didn't sin. He didn't sin as God. He sinned as a man. You know, that's just kind of the rabbit hole like I've been dealing with. And so I just went. didn't sin as God, but he sinned as a man. We, we have we have uh, passages all through the Old Testament, since that's the text they're using, that say, I am God. I am not a man. 
that he should repent. We have passages that say, I am God. I don't know any other gods before me or after me in the Old Testament. So what they're doing is they're just picking and selecting, like they always do, certain passages, and they use them to try to bolster their arguments. But taken contextually, that's why Christians who have studied the Word of God and know it is the real deal, when they hear a counterfeit, automatically laugh. That's why you won't find a Bible, a Christian tutored in the Bible, who would ever hear Mormon doctrine and say, oh, that, that makes sense, that is true. Never, because they've studied the real thing. But if you don't know the real thing and the counterfeit keeps coming up, you can't tell the difference, and so you embrace those things. So, JC, study that word of God. Keep going reading. It says in Ephesians that it, he renews, the word of God washes to the renewing of your mind. And, and so your mind constantly is getting rid of that stuff. So stay in the word, and in time, probably years, you'll be able to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with these people and their spin doctrines and, and handle them readily. All right, gotcha. Well, Sue and Russ say hello. They're good with they're with Earl, hanging out at a painting seminar. And we, I heard about that. Here. Tell them hi. I will. Have a good one, Sean. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. We're going to David in West Jordan. He's LDS. David, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, I'm done, Sean. Good. You're on the air, man. Okay. Um, just bear with me for one second. Um, I'm trying to set the, the stage on, on trying to get... I'm a, I'm a Mormon. I came to the church in uh, Concord of uh, 12 years ago. I do question some of the things. Um, I do try to find um, truth in, in certain parts of the Bible, and I do have a que questions for you to see if you could help me with a couple different things. Okay, so be quick. Okay. Um, um, in heaven, when you die, you say that if you believe in Jesus Christ that you are saved. Uh-huh. When, when you are saved... We all go to heaven and we're with God, right? Yes. Okay. Now, on earth, if there's a guy out there that wronged me and I, and I hated the person and, you know, for whatever he's done, when I die in the same heaven and he also believed in Jesus Christ and I see that person in heaven, how do I, how is it heaven to me if I'm, I'm with someone that we've never, we've never uh, fixed our problems? How's it, how's it heaven if I'm in, in, a, in a place with a bunch of people that, did wrongs and, and never never made right. Well, I can assure you, when you're in heaven, you will be with a bunch of people who did wrongs. Uh, but let me put it to you this way. If you're a Christian, that means you infer that when you die, you go to heaven, because that's the only way to get there. As a Christian, if somebody wronged you, you would know from reading the Bible that Jesus says, hey, if somebody's wronged you, you go to them before offering your altar on the gift, and you say, uh, offering your gift on the altar, and you say, hey, I, I want to clear this up. So hopefully you and that person would have cleared that up. However, let's just give the, off the thing that a person does something terrible to you. He's a Christian, and he drives off the road, and he dies, and, he, and you don't have a chance for that reconciliation. Well, Jesus also tells us, because you're a Christian and you know the Bible, you forgive. That Our job is to always forgive. And so that Holy Spirit living in you will tell you, i got to forgive him completely, and the Holy Spirit helps you do that. So when you see him in heaven and you're void of this earthly body, you will totally be free from all the, the trappings of your flesh and sin and revenge and anger. And you will be in a place that is uh, parad uh, like paradise, and you will, that none of those feelings should exist, I wouldn't think. But you're saying that we have to, we have to put forth the work of forgiveness and, and accepting the forgiveness. Yeah, and the work Asking is love. In order, to, in order to have that level. Absolutely. Right? That, yeah, and that work is love. And that is a command that, that Christians are to believe and to love. Those are, the, those are the new commandments of 
the uh, gospel of Jesus Christ. We can find that all over the scripture. So when you say we have to work, that work is love. There is nothing more difficult on earth than to truly love as Christ loved. It's not works like baptism or works that embody what love look like, like feeding the poor. That, if that comes from a loving heart, by all means, let's do it, Jesus said. But it's not works in the sense that, hey, I've earned it, and now my flesh is ready to be in heaven. Not at all. So in, in order to, to have that heaven, you, you do have to do more than just believe in Jesus Christ. You do have to put forth the works of, of a heaven-like attitude in order to be in heaven. Well, no, because heaven is a different thing. Let me just say this. The thief on the cross didn't have a chance to love. So if you're allowed to tarry, so you believe, and, and Romans 10 says, hey, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. That's what the thief on the cross did. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And the translation of paradise was not a Greek word. It is heaven. So we know that by virtue of believing and confessing, you can go to heaven. However, if you're allowed to live, then we have the application of what James talks about in James 2. And that if you believe in Christ, it's not you have to. You got to understand. It's you will love. It's by that sign that people will know you really are a believer. Is by the love you show. You see, but it's that you will love because you're a believer, not that you have to love because you're a believer. You get it? Yeah, that's my, that's my, second, my second thing with that. When when Jesus Christ says to believe in me, um, I'm glad you brought that up because I, interpretation says that, you know, where, you know, you're saying in order to, to have the kingdom, you just have to believe in Jesus Christ, where I think where Jesus says, you know, do as I do and you will have what I have, you'll have that joy, and he lived his life in a perfect way, saying that if you live the way that I do, you will, you will understand the joy that I have, and then you'll in, in a sense, that's the way that you believe in me by doing as I do, okay. not only just by believing in me. I, I get what you're saying, but here's the problem. What you're pulling from is from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And let me ask you a question now. Do you know who that Jesus was speaking to when he came to earth and all the way up till he died and ascended? Who was his audience? Just the people that followed him. No, it was the children of Israel only. He didn't have to, he didn't deal with Gentiles. So everything recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is an extension of, of, of God's promises to the children of Israel and their promise of a Messiah. Now, of course, they rejected their own, but that was what all his recordings were. And his sole purpose was, you guys have lived under the law. You have to then be perfect if you're going to go about it that way. This caused his disciples to come to him and say, who can go to heaven then? And that's why he said, hey, with, with men, it's impossible. Meaning with you, you're not going to do it. But with God, all things are possible. If you take the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John out of context, and you just apply that to yourself as a Gentile, you're not looking at the audience. You're not looking at what it was for. If you want to understand biblical Christianity, you have to start reading after the fall of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 and read what Jesus' apostle to the Gentiles, Paul, says how it applies to you as a non-Jew. Then you'll start to understand why there are differences between what uh, you are saying here tonight and what Paul teaches, and why the doctrine sounds a little bit different coming from my mouth. So you're saying that if I, I want to believe that, and the way that I believe in Jesus Christ is saying that I wish I want to live like Him and try to be more like Him, and as more that I become more like Him, then I believe more in Him, and that's what 
way my belief is. You're saying that's, that's not completely true. Well, the Jew, well, you see, the thing was, is the law, which is that what you're saying is you want to become like him. That means you're able to keep the law. See, because he was the one who kept the law perfectly, uh, David. He did not err in keeping the law at all. So what you're saying is you want to be like him. That's good, but how? You got to be like him in love because you're not going to be like him in being able to keep the law. If you try, you're going to fail. And then if you want to be judged by the law, you're in big trouble because you have failed in keeping the law. So there is either law or there is living by grace and faith, you see. And if it is not by grace, then it is by works or the law. And if it is not by works, then it is by grace. And it's, it's completely pointed out here in Scripture if, if they're understood. But if you just step up and say, I am going to get to heaven by virtue of trying to be like Jesus, that's not how you're saved. Hebrews says it is only by your faith, only by your faith that you can please God. That means trusting in his solution to your salvation and not in man's ways. Does that make sense? I understand. And that's, that's where my belief comes, I believe, from what Jesus has taught me. Not, I was a Catholic for many years, and so I've, I've learned a lot about Jesus before I became, a, became LDS. And my belief is that from what Jesus has taught me about, about life and about how to live in his life and how to you know, forgive and to repent, and, and from what he, is, what he is bringing the message from God, I believe that in order for me to believe in Jesus, that I must focus in on how he lived his life and try to be as much like that as I possibly can. I, I know I'm going to fail. I don't dispute that's that. The way that I, that's the way that I believe in him, with also believing that he is the Son of God. I think that's great. But the question is, what are you trying to follow that he represented to you? Are you trying to walk on water? Are you trying to turn water into wine? Are you trying to overcome all the law? Do you keep the Sabbath day perfectly? Do you, I mean, do you do everything the law says? See, he kept the law perfectly. Do you? So you're not going to be able to follow him in those ways, David. You're only going to be able to follow him by virtue of your faith, and that faith will produce love in you, which then translates to your working with other people. It is by your love that you will be known. I, yes, I do. I understand that. Okay. And, you know, I, I, I tried to walk on water. Didn't, didn't happen. I did it too when I was little, and it was I'm miserable. Just, I'm just messing with you. But I, I do understand what you're saying. But this is a question that, that I search that kind of keeps me going forward or going backwards. Can, or, I, you know, I'm just, can we send you our, my book, Born Again Mormon? What's that? Can we send you my book, Born Again Mormon? Sure. Stay on the line. An operator will take your address. We'll get one out to you because I think it will help kind of articulate these differences because they are tough, especially coming from being LDS and Catholic before. To understand that, it's tough. So give it a go, and maybe we can talk later. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks. Hang on now. All right. Uh, what are we doing? I'm doing something here. Hold. Line one. All right. Now let's go to Stephen. Uh, line two from Salt Lake City. Stephen, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, hi, Sean. Hi. Uh, uh, yeah, just uh, kind of a quick question, because I don't know the answer to this one. Um, do you know, okay, Joseph Smith claimed to have seen God the Father and and Jesus Christ. Twelve years after the fact, first time, yes. Yes, okay. Um, do you know of anywhere in history that he denied that vision? Uh, denied, no. I don't know anywhere in history where he denied it, but I know places in history where he changed it. 
because he started off by saying it was just a light, and then it became just the one person, then it was angels, and then it was two. So he changed the whole thing, and the physical body part of God didn't come in until way down the, the road. So altered it, yeah, but denied it, no. Oh, okay. So he, he did alter it, although he never said, hey, you know, I give up. I really didn't. This really didn't happen. Oh, no. Oh, no, not at all. Uh, you see what? Um, now, now let me ask you: uh, if if you were to say, uh, and even in his day today, I'd, I think it might be different. But uh, if you were to declare, you were to declare that you had seen God the Father and Jesus Christ His Son. Okay, twenty-two years after the uh, fact. Do you? What do you think would happen to you? I I'm just curious. Oh, I could probably get a following to tell you the truth. I'm sorry. What you'd get a following? Probably could get a following. Yeah. Do, do you think you would get anti-power uh, uh, against you? Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, we get anti—Jesus Jesus himself got anti-powers against him. I mean, what is your point on this, man? This is not, this is not a good argument. Go ahead. Well, I'm just curious. Do you think that, you know, claiming such a vision like that, Oh, um, and, and not only that, but yeah. then you sit down and you write over 800 pages worth of scripture. Yeah, what's your point? What did Muhammad write in the caves? Well, How many, well, let, let me just finish. No, I don't want you to finish. I don't like you. I don't like you. I don't, I don't like your thinking. I'm not, I don't want you to finish because you're not a good thinker. You're, oh, you're oh. illogical. Here's why. No, let me, now let me talk. Let me talk. Okay, I'm going to talk. Now listen, here is the thing. Joseph Smith, 22 years after saying, after uh, the facts, says he saw God the Father and Jesus Christ. All of it was made up. So his point, what he was trying to make, was that why would he do all that? I mean, don't you think the persecution he got from that? Well, do we think the persecution uh, David Koresh got in Waco was warranted because he was telling the truth? Do we think the persecution that Jim Jones got in Jonestown was because he was speaking the truth? I mean, because you get persecution doesn't mean you're telling the truth. The cops persecute criminals. It doesn't mean they're telling the truth. So what he was trying to say is why would he do it? He did it because I'll tell you, let me tell you, if you read, it, if you read the history of Joseph Smith, I'll tell you why. He started off in a low, low, low income place. He started off in a place where he loved his family. He started off in a place where his brother died. He needed an answer for him not being baptized. He started off in a place where he was digging for gold, and it just started to morph. And when he couldn't make it as a treasure seeker and he got arrested, he suddenly became a religious guy with a sacred book. And when he saw that people would follow him and there was money to be made in that line, he followed it. And he followed it, and they were hailing him, and he put on uniforms, and he was ordained king of the world. Now, let me tell you something. Persecution is totally in line with that. You want to be persecuted when you're in that uh, field because it makes you seem like you're doing the right thing. And so their persecution only fueled the flames, and Joseph played into that. He loved it. He loved the power. And people will do almost anything for power. And the money was better than what he would come from. He was uneducated in that sense. So that's where it all happened. Let's go to Steve in Salt Lake City. First time caller. Steve, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean, how's it going? Good, how are you? Good. Hey, I just wanted to make a couple questions. I've got, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Mormon, but a little, 
little confused how the past five years the church has taken the Christian direction, and not saying that's a bad thing, but <clears throat> the thing that is confusing to me, and I wanted to get your take on it, was um, what what a lot of the mem- general members really don't understand when they talk about Christian church, or when they talk about the label Christian, is the reality is, is if you read the church history in the Mormon church, they believe in what's called as Christian primitivism, and there's a pure form of Christianity. So the, I wanted to see what your thoughts were on that and the, the whole allegation with the pastor out of Texas. What, uh, what, what are your thoughts on, on uh, all of that? Okay. Uh, we got to be quick so we have two minutes left, but let me, let me just say this. In terms of Christianity, we can lay out here all the way up until like the 1950s, Marky e. Peterson, some 60s, how adamantly against Mormonism has been for Christianity. I mean, it was just a verboten term to even be likened to Christianity. So I believe it is now they have reached the point in the cycle of a church growth that they need worldwide acceptance in order to break through the barriers that have once held them bound with polygamy, blacks and the priesthood, and all that stuff. This is a phase in their growth cycle. They need to be considered Christian to get the evangelical vote, which is primarily the right-wing vote in the United States. They are right-wing, so they have to come more into terms. And so they began that process about 20 years ago through campaigning, and it's just escalated. There's my answer on Christianity. What the guy said uh, back, uh, the pastor, my point uh, about that whole thing, and I haven't addressed it purposely, is what's he doing even entering into the arena of politics as a Christian pastor? Shut your mouth, go and preach the word of God in your church, and stop getting into politics. That's my point with him. So, Do you think he's doing it to, you know, maybe to get some media attention, to get some growth within his, his organization? Don't know about that intention. All I know is that Christians sh- and pastors should be teaching the, 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 the gospel of Jesus Christ in their churches. And when they start saying all Christians should vote this way, they've crossed the line, in my opinion, because Mormons can do the same thing. Here's what's frustrating for me, and I wanted to just make one last point is... 20 seconds. When, when Mormons say that they're Christian, then, then a Christian says they're not, they get all offended, but what they don't really realize, because when the apostles have started transitioning themselves into Christianity or into the Christian belief, they didn't tell their members that they actually believe in a pure form of Christianity, and so it's just created a lot of confusion between both parties where the Mormon are defining Christianity. We're out of time, uh, Steve, but we're out of time. Your point was well taken. Thank you. I'm sorry. Listen, Mormon President, HOTM.TV, pre-order where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity. We'll be back next week to start watering the seed. God bless you. I'm gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break. I'm gonna break my. Gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break. I'm gonna break my. Gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break. I'm gonna break my. Rusty King.